Growler Media presents Joe vs. the Minute. Welcome back. It's Friday, and you are listening to Joe vs. the Minute, where we take you to the volcano one minute at a time. I'm Jarf. I'm Tierney. And I am Curtis, their guest. Welcome back, Curtis. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for spending a great week with us. It feels like it's been two weeks. It's just because it's been twice as fun. <laughs> But you know what isn't fun? HIPAA violations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and this minute starts with Graynamore describing a HIPAA violation, and it ends with Graynamore telling Joe the Waponi's one fear, that big volcano. So this is it. We're getting a little bit of Joe versus volcano lore in this minute. I'm very excited. I mean, it is like the most important minute so far, right? <laughs> this is what it's all been building up to. No, the most important minutes were the minutes with Dee Dee because Dee Dee is the best. So the fact that Greatamore wants to hire Joe to jump into a volcano to you is just, you know, the epilogue. <laughs> right. I mean, is Meg Ryan in it? Then yes, it's just the epilogue. <laughs> no, it, this is the part they put in our beloved trailer for the movie that ruins the entire movie, <laughs> even the ending. Whoa, are we talking about minute 33? Minute 33, Grainamore settled. Well, first he asked Joe if he has any whiskey. And I nope. And then Grainamore tells him why he wants to hire Joe. And it turns out Joe does have some whiskey. I loved that performance from Tom. I think Lloyd Bridges swoops in on Monday. We established that he is chaotic. And I think that that chaotic energy is bringing out the best of Tom Hanks deadpan because now now he's in full straight man mode. And so I really like that exchange between them where he almost guiltily said, oh no, I don't have any whiskey. I guess it was more, I don't know you I've only got a limited time to live. I'm not sharing my whiskey with you weird stranger who's come in to trash my apartment. Yeah, see, I always read that nope. It's like, nope. And he totally does. Like, we all know that before the giveaway, right? (laughs) Right. When does he pour him the whiskey, though? At the... Am I... I hate to be that guy, but what am I missing? Because he just says nope, and then the guy lifts a glass. He he lights his breasty pipe. Joe says, nope, he does his pipe, and then he says, I want to hire you, Joe, I want to hire you to jump into the volcano, lowers the match, does his little puffs, and once Joe has digested- Joe gets up to go get the whiskey, but then editing-wise, boom, he's lifting the glass of whiskey. Yeah, well, Joe says, you know what, I I do have some whiskey. And then when it cuts back to Grainamore, some time has passed- in which Joe poured him a whiskey, which he now hands to him. Oh, that's what's screwing me up, because that is not a time has passed cut. I mean, how long does it take Joe to get up, grab the bottle, and pour some whiskey into two glasses? Well, not instantly, because what the way it appears is that he, he gets up, and then Graynamar, while Graynamar is talking, because, I mean, he says, nope, Graynamar is talking, he's looking at him, he lights this thing, and then check it out. His eye, and, and then and then we come back to Tom. Yeah. Tom moves, yeah. and then Graynamore's eyes move no, with but- him while he's lifting the glass. So if we could do the sort of Curtis edit for this, ideally, <laughs> Joe would say, "You know what? I do have some whiskey." Okay. The and then we they would pan over to the fireplace. Says, you know, I do have some whiskey because that is the joke. He said he didn't, and then when the guy <laughs> says, "I want to hire you to jump in a volcano," he's like, 
actually I do. That's the joke. I'm and so, so sorry. And so they want to cut it because that is a very traditional way of doing comedy in movies and television is as soon as you get that punchline out, cut. Anything you do after that is going to take away from the impact of that punchline. Mm. And so we see Joe getting up. So we can assume that he got up to get the whiskey. Now we are seeing Graynamore and he is being handed a whiskey. Oh, that's so funny. I, I, I'm being that guy. <laughs> Yesterday, I spent I spent nine hours editing a movie to get it from two hours to, to 90 minutes. I'm being, oh, did I just invent female splaining? <laughs> <laughs> Femsplaining. Femsplaining, I did it. We did it, guys. Equality. I- <laughs> I'm so glad that I was here for that. I was just racking my brain trying to think of other examples in comedy where they have that one-two punch of, you know what? Okay, let's do the thing. And then boom, then we're into the thing. Because it feels very familiar. And I'm definitely uh, along for that interpretation that it's, it's a comedy choice. But I can't just can't think of a specific example. Tierney, can you? Um, I know because I just recorded the MASH Minute where we're talking about how when Hot Lips is yelling at Blake after the shower incident, he says, God damn it, Hot Lips, resign your commission. And it cuts back to him and he's pouring champagne for his mistress who's in bed with him. And that's, and then when she says, yes, please, and takes a sip, that's it. That's the end of the scene. And then we're doing the next thing. And Megan was saying like, that transition doesn't really work for me. And I'm like, there was no transition. We're just in the next scene now. <laughs> because what would transit, you don't want to transition out because then you don't leave people with that image lingering of the punchline, which is that they're just sitting in bed drinking wine. It's not the same because it doesn't, it's not they said they were going to do something and then they did it, which is what you were describing. I feel like that happens more on TV. We're going to do the thing. Here we are doing the thing. It does happen more on TV. I'm rewatching S.H.I.E.L.D. right now and they'll typically be have two separate teams running two parts of the mission and then team A will say something that relates to what team B is doing and they mine as much comedy as they can Mm -hmm. through team A having some kind of understatement about what team B is going to get into. Well, I don't want to drag this out too much, but just in in defense of of what I'm seeing on screen... Mm Granamore is lighting his pipe, which is very, very smoky. It's a very smoky thing that you do. You know, you got to take a lot of puffs on it and blow a lot of smoke. So as Tom Hanks get up, gets up, he's getting that smoke blown. You know, the, the clouds of smoke are blown out like he's lighting his mm-hmm. pipe. And then Tom Hanks gets up and then we see Granamore blowing out still a huge puff of, of pipe lighting and he lifts his glass. Is he still? I thought he was just puffing away at that point. Well, that's where like see, that's a minute has and again. I don't think an hour I know, I know, has I don't gone want to by. Drink I'm so sorry. I, should I go pour? I, oh, I don't have any whiskey in the house. I was like, time me. We can do this. <laughs> I am obsessed. I like that method podcasting with Amor's pipe, by the way, and also that match. I forget what you described as ridiculous, but it all is ridiculous because that match is not a match that a normal human has on them. It is so long. I've never seen a match like that. It's longer than a kitchen match. Like it is, it had to be made for this, right? That's got to be like a custom the lighting, match. The lighting part of it, the, the part with the sulfur is really super yeah. long. I wonder if that means, I wonder if there's a special pipe lighting match. 
That's that long. Oh, see, I so just assumed the prop the department knew that he was going to need to say his whole line while the flame was going, so they added some extra sulfur. So would you like to hear some fun facts about the pipe? Yes, please. And the mini fandom that surrounds it? Oh my God. I, I'm one of those fans, but please. Can the duck be smoking a pipe? Anyway, all right, sorry. That's all I had to say. The duck should absolutely be smoking this mermaid <laughs> pipe. The duck of dishonesty is smoking this pipe. I really hope Alex Robinson listens to our podcast and is taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we get this cool sculpted mermaid pipe. And while I was looking around just for close-up images of it, I found the website pipesmagazine.com. Oh dear. And some fans of the movie that were trying to track down a replica of the pipe. And in so doing, I learned a little bit more details about the pipe. Forgive me, I'm probably not going to pronounce this correctly, but it's something called a Meerschaum pipe. And this contributor who has dubbed himself Fathead says, in the 1990 film starring Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, Lloyd Bridges played an industrialist, sorry, industrialist named Graynamore in a scene in the apartment of Joe, portrayed by a very young Tom Hanks. We were talking about Tom Hanks' baby face on Wednesday. He pulls a Meerschaum pipe from his jacket pocket in the image of a woman, a sailing ship's figurehead. I am seriously looking for such a pipe. And then he's just got an image of the pipe. And then someone named Cosmic Folklore, who's a preferred member of PipesMagazine.com, said, you can contact one of those Turkish Meerschaum companies and they will carve it for you. They don't really run all of the designs as large-scale production runs, so you may not find that exact pipe. Yeah, the closest I was able to find on the internet had seashells over the over the breasts. Very close. Oh, Mass production. That was the case in this image that he shared too, but uh, is that not the case in if you actually look at in the the does his pipe actually bump us to a naughtier rating of the movie are you saying that you didn't zoom in and enhance <laughs> right enhance well okay enhance. so i did <laughs> <laughs> and yes it, it would it would be a pg-13 item how so very original that starbucks guy. logo of him <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so from femsplaining to mermaid boobs and she's and she's a very happy mermaid. She's like, yes, I approve. <laughs> Look, I did the never-ending story. There were so many boobs, and they were so big. So not really phased by this pipe. <laughs> Man, so I wonder, compared to this pipe, what the miniatures for the Southern Oracle, uh, how big the mini- miniatures for the Southern Oracle were. That's true. In real life, they were miniatures, but. They were still bigger than this. I, oh man, so we're going to go from femsplaining to nudity to white privilege. Because we're getting some folklore here and it's just, maybe it's not white privilege. Maybe it's more of a paternalistic colonialism vibe that I'm getting off the way Grainamore is talking about the peaceful natives with their simple life swimming in the lagoon. Like, oh, there were no problems. And it's just like, eh, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it's it's cringeworthy, especially when you play this situation out. So spoiler alert, his endgame is to exploit this island 
four minerals that he needs yeah. to Yeah, well, he told us produce. about the simple conductors. Right, exactly. And so that ties me back to my, not, not to bulldoze over your point tyranny, but I teased on Wednesday that I wanted to explore kind of what is Graynamore's gambit. And that's central to this theme. We even start to hear a little bit of the George Delarue theme song play towards the end, and it's the track called Graynamore's Pitch. Mm-hmm. So I just wondered, what is his strategy? Now, he ultimately wants Joe to agree to jump into the volcano so that he can make this deal uh, with the native population on the island and mine the resources and probably not compensate them fairly. So is the approach that he's taking to Joe, is that the best approach to try to get that result? And so is everything that he's doing calculated? Like we said on Wednesday, is he nagging him, trying to undermine his confidence and get him closer to a yes? Or is he just an oddball guy with a pervy pipe who can't help but be himself? He stumbles to whatever, you know, falls ass backwards into. Curtis, do you want to go first? You said that you had thoughts about this on Wednesday. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot to unpack. First of all, I have a question for you two. Did either of you have any clue while you're watching this that the natives are actually like a combination of like Jewish people and something else and something else? Or when he was telling this story the first time you saw it, did you just think standard Hollywood backwards? Yeah, he is not describing what the Waponis actually are. Right. Or what their life actually is at all. So is that itself part of the gambit? Is that like a thing he's trying to sell to Joe? Does Joe feel better about doing this for backwards people? I don't know. I'm trying to put myself in his shoes and see if selling it this way is the best way to go because he's approaching it from a very business-like manner. Here's what's going on. I want the mineral rights. I want you to throw yourself in. You're going to die anyway. Eh, may as well live life while until that time, right? Yeah, and he is shown to be very successful. So I don't think he stumbles into things the way you were describing, Charf. Like, I don't think... I think this could still be his personality while being very calculated. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So you can have your intrinsic personality, but then you lean into it in certain situations because you know it's going to give you the best result. He was always going to be this person, but he has figured out how to use this to his advantage. Like he has figured out how to become this huge conglomerate business guy because he has this ability to put his arm around someone's shoulder or, you know, barge into their apartments and sell them on an idea. I mean, he probably was like this when he was just starting out. He just now can afford to waste a whole jar of peanuts. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I refute that. I say it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) That means he's having jars of peanuts specially made for him that are vacuum sealed with only a perfect handful for him inside. Exactly. (laughs) A guy like that... A guy like that would only be coldly calculating. Right. <laughs> and not simply stumbling into it. Well, excuse me, Mr. Greenmore, couldn't we simply give you a small Ziploc baggie of as many peanuts as you like? No, no. it doesn't slam! <laughs> <laughs> I like to slam down the canister. I want to hear that vacuum pop. And then I want my five peanuts. <laughs> so I, th- I, I think I think we've solved it. If I may, I have 
One more fun pipe fact. (laughs) Because I think it's a little bit of a foreshadowing for the sea voyage. So the type of pipe that he is smoking, the meerschaum pipe, it's made from the mineral sepiolite, also known as meerschaum. And meerschaum is German for seafoam. So I think between that and the mermaid imagery, because that's typically, as we said, on the front of ships, it's all meant to kind of evoke the sea voyage. Are you with me? Yeah, I'm totally there. No, I think you're absolutely right. This pipe is not an accident. I'm really, I didn't think about it before, before I sat down to do these minutes with you. But this movie is really, there's really kind of a fairy tale aspect to them. There, there's a lot of Curtis, symbolism. Curtis, you just made things. Jarf's day, <laughs> if I say <laughs> that. I mean, it's clear, because I, I never thought about it. I thought it was just kind of a dreary movie about a guy that jumps into a volcano. And I didn't like it much when I was a kid, but I'm really appreciating it now. There's a lot more going on with this movie. It's it's funny that you give it that description because I... <laughs> so when I guessed it on Minute Impossible, they were very split on their attitude towards the movie. And Jonathan was the one who was really dragging his feet. And so I just gave him the worst possible description of the movie. He, he, he said what he's seen of it looks kind of dreary and depressing. And I said, yep, that's pretty much it. Just bleak German expression and then he jumps in the volcano and then he dies. That's it. That's the movie. So I'm not sure if we'll be able to have him as a guest, but fortunately (laughs) that is not the case. He goes through the long trek to work and sloshes through the mud and the the gray, dull workaday life and it ends in this fairy tale place. It's perfect that you bring that up today because today is Fairy Tale Friday and that's when we like to ask our guests what is their favorite fairy tale in any medium? Oh, man. And so you're asking me that right now? Yes. Nothing like being <laughs> on the spot. Boy. Well, I'm going to say, oh, God, fairy tale. Because that's such a weird thing to talk about. What is a fairy tale? A fairy tale. Uh, probably the most obsessed I've ever been with a fairy tale would be something like Time Bandits. Ooh, nice. I don't know if that counts, though. Help, help me out. Help me, help me figure out if it's a fairy tale. Because they go to the land of fairy tales while they're in the movie. So maybe it's not supposed to be a fairy tale. But I bring that up because that reminds me, this movie is very Gilliam-ish. Uh, I'm sorry, Terry Gilliam-ish okay, I was like, to me. In the, way that, in the way that the world is an invented world instead of existing in our world. Which is to say, Joe versus the Volcano seems like it could be a Terry Gilliam movie. Obviously it's not. But it could kind of exist in the same world as, you know, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. You know, something like that. I definitely accept Time Bandits as a favorite fairy tale. And I think, and this is a big part of why I want to ask the question, because I think what people choose as their favorite is revealing. Having a meta aspect, I don't think disqualifies something from being... A fairy tale per se. It's just it shows your relationship to fairy tales that is your choice. And to the Terry Gilliam, Joe versus the volcano tie-in, I think that this would be an amazing Terry Gilliam. Oh, we, we talked about some of the strengths of it being Shanley screenplay, 
directed by Shan Lee, but sometimes someone can take your vision to the next level. And I, and I can imagine just that quirky factor being, you know, cranked up into overdrive. And, and I would be very interesting to see what he would have done with it. Oh, I, I would love to live in an alternative world where Terry Gilliam is the one that made this movie. But as far as Time Bandits goes, I don't know. It just captured my imagination. It came out in 1981. I was 10 and it was at the perfect time for me. That, you know, the, uh, who's the Beatle that did that song at the end? Uh, George Harrison. George Harrison did the, did the final song for that, the, the credit song, which was in the trailers for it. And it was about a kid my age traveling through time and having adventures. I don't know. You know, I don't really have a lot to say about it. Although I did consider taking it up as a movies by minute thing. It's just the most fantastical wish fulfillment movie ever. Like that's something I literally wish I could have done. In fact, when I was like 13, I wrote a screenplay for the sequel to Time Bandits. <laughs> oh, really? Now, now that I bring it up, yeah. What was it yeah, about? Come back to get Kevin when he's older. Evil has taken root again. Yada yada yada. Standard sequel stuff. Kind of a hook. Like I wasn't a very inventive thirteen-year-old. I was asking, is it kind of kind of a hook-like approach to revisiting the childhood character as an adult, or was he not a that old and b kind of drifting that far away from who he was? Nah, it was Kevin was just me in it. It was just Kevin only instead of ten. Now he's thirteen or fourteen. Oh, okay. And uh, and they come back. And they've got to save God from evil. So pretty much a Time Bandits 2. Yeah, it is just straight up. There was nothing that inventive about it. It just, I just loved it so much that I wanted there to be more story. So I had to write it for myself. That's beautiful. <laughs> that is beautiful. And I'm going to check out that George Harrison song. I, I, I love Time Bandits, but I haven't gone back and revisited in some time. And I didn't remember that he had that song, but I was just looking for it now. So it's Dream Away. and Dream Away, yeah. Beautiful guitar work in it. Just, it could have been a Beatles song. Mm. Eh, close. <laughs> it was definitely, <laughs> it was at least one quarter's Beatles. A bit, that's a terrible joke. Anyway. <laughs> Tierney, did you have anything else for this minute? I did not have anything else for this minute. We talked about the things that are in my little app that I jot down my notes in. So we're good on that front. I'm just really excited that you and I are finally in the same place at the same time for Friday shenanigans. <laughs> Absolutely. I did have one more image that stayed with me from this minute. We called out that the crack on the wall in Joe's apartment is in the shape of the the crooked road, the bolt. And in this minute 33, I really like the light shining through the crack on the wall to really make that that image jump out. I just thought that that it was a really pretty shot. I was going to talk about that too. Oh, were you? Yeah, the fact that he the fact that he started smoking and was able to create that kind of light. I love that. I don't really have a lot to say about it except that it's just good just good lighting, just good production. Yeah, I was actually weighing our choice for this movie because I was hearing people talk about, oh, what worked about the movie they chose for their movies by minute was that the movie was imperfect. And so it wasn't just them loving every minute of it and, and they were pointing out flaws. And well, there will be flaws for us to point out <laughs> later. Uh, but in terms of stylistic choices and, and everything that we've seen so far, there are some times that you just have to sit back and say, yeah, that's really nice. That's really pretty. And I think this is one of those times. And I think this has been one of those weeks. This has been a lot of fun. Curtis Tierney. 
There's just one thing I wanna, I wanna say so that you don't make this mistake going forward. Because I heard you mention it right at the beginning of the show. I'm just gonna jump back to that for a second. Awesome. HIPAA wasn't a thing until eight years after this uh, movie. Oh. Mash Minute, you should know that. <laughs> It was still inappropriate. Things like this are why we have HIPAA. I don't know how old you guys are, but back in this time period, in the 80s, we had a radio show, a local radio show, you know, like a, that would just announce people that were in the hospital, who came into the hospital that day and what they were there to do and who was getting out and who was born and who had died. It was a radio show that just announced this every day at noon. It was nothing but who's in the hospital and why they're there. That's amazing. And had all those people. That was a radio show in the eighties. What's that? And had all those people signed a release form for that to be on the radio show? Nope. The hospital just put out the announcement. <laughs> That's wild. Just, just not a thing in the eighties. HIPAA, just not a thing. When you went to the hospital, what would happen is they would say that, oh, so and so has been admitted to the hospital today. If you want to come on in, and you know, a billion people from around town would come in and, and wish you well and visit you in the hospital. That's a nightmare. <laughs> I'm an introvert. I especially don't like to have extra people around me when I'm feeling vulnerable. So the idea of waking up in a hospital to a bunch of townsfolk, (laughs) well-wishers, oh no. (laughs) So, So hearing you talk about HIPAA at the beginning, I don't know how old you guys are. But that was just a thing. And that wasn't that wasn't unique to us. That was just all over the country. That's just that was just content for, for radio shows. But I want to remind our listeners that HIPAA is now a thing. And don't violate people's <laughs> privacy rights by telling their medical history. <laughs> I work for a law firm Unless in case you can tell. <laughs> Unless it happens in court. Then it becomes a moment. Then you know everyone who's going in for drug rehab or for drug uh, and alcohol evaluation. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. There can be announcements and things. But like um, I and my kid at Beth Israel Hospital. Oh, you better believe I signed the form if the Red Sox want to use his picture they can. Have at it. My kid can be on the <laughs> scoreboard at Fenway as rookie of the year. Yes. <laughs> well, and that kind of thing happened too when my child was born. They they asked us if we wanted to have a public announcement mm-hmm. of it and have our picture you know, in the paper. Yeah. That was the thing they asked if we wanted to do i work in a law firm and you can always tell which health lawyers do what because they have like eight billion signs on their doors like do not cut like if i am not here do not come in keep it you know those are the ones where like the door locks automatically behind them even if they're just going to the bathroom Uh, health and immigration are the ones that keep things on the lockdown for obvious reasons Yeah, in the 80s, if you had cancer, it was a secret for exactly as long until you got admitted. Well, that was an up note to end on. (laughs) Oh, I can do a recommendation. Please do. And it's very sad, but also very lovely. So it's not an up note, but it is wonderful. The documentary Love Gilda about Gilda Radner was a (gasps) fantastic watch. I absolutely love her anyway, but it was really well done. And so there you go. I have a recommendation this weekend. You know, as long as you're like emotionally prepared to watch that, I really enjoyed watching Love, Gilda. God, it almost makes me cry just hearing that it exists. Do you remember what streaming platform it's on or? Uh, I don't because I was part of supporting Back and Getting It Made. Let me look it up real quick. I can't even imagine being Gene Wilder during that time period. You can rent it on Amazon Prime, uh, Hulu subscription, 
So those seem to be the best ways to put it. It was a Magnolia Pictures movie, documentary, whatever you're going to call it. Watch at home by DVD. So I did watch at home. But yeah, it looks like Amazon and Hulu are the ones that have it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's a great recommendation. And then I'm just trying to look. Yeah, you can buy it off of iTunes, Amazon, AT&T, cable. Vi- wow. Okay. Now these are just listing ways that TV appears in your house. You know what? It's 2020. <laughs> Everyone can figure this out. <laughs> you can also wow, just so- figure out when your neighbor's watching it and just watch <laughs> through the window. That's actually the best way. So. That's how my neighbors do it to me. Well, Curtis, when your neighbors aren't spying on what you're watching <laughs> on TV, where can people find you on the internet? I would say go to the Better Off Dead Minute, which is currently releasing episodes, and the Neuromancer Minute, which is currently begging for anyone who might have read that book for guests. Because <laughs> I need a lot. I've got 270 episodes to put out. It's a bed within a plug. There needs to be a new word for it. Awesome. Tierney, do you want to, I don't think we've gotten a mention in for your Patreon this week. So my Patreon's under One Steel Sister, which is also my website, onesteelsister.com. Everything links to everything else. (laughs) Grabbed that social media handle and never looked back. Tierney Steele, I am always talking. Yes, exactly. And yes, if you become a (laughs) Patreon, there's even more of me talking because I do exclusive videos there. And then I host movie nights where we all watch a movie together. Maybe it will be Love Gilda one of these days. It doesn't sound like a movie that you should watch alone. So I think that sounds like a great suggestion. Yeah, we'll all just emotionally hug each other via the internet. That is what the internet is best at. And if you want to find me on the internet, um, on Instagram at Jarf Harden and on Twitter at Inspector Flora. And you can follow our show on Twitter and Instagram at Joe versus Minute. And if you want to interact with your fellow listeners and fellow fans of the movie, and if you're on Facebook, you can join our private group, Joe versus the Minutes Listeners Luggage Raft. So Hop onto the raft and share your favorite Joe versus the Volcano memes. Share some things that you heard in the episode that you want to make fun of us for saying. And just to have a little bit of extra fun along with the show. Now it's that time where we all must climb onto the raft and push ourselves out to the sea. So tell me, Tyranny, my friend, what shall our destination be? Away from the things of man, of course. Away from the things of man. And our second piece of merch should be hop onto the raft. <laughs> I like it. Yes. I think the duck of dystonacy will outsell <sighs> it by a significant margin. He's a mascot. He has an advantage. <laughs> <laughs> but you encouraging people to hop onto the raft, aka join our Facebook group, is pretty aces as well. Well, thank you. All right. Thanks for joining us this week, listeners. Bye. Now I don't know. Wow, something is really different. I'm a growler.